Connecticut Democrats or Connecticrats, as they have never been called. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to CT Democrats podcast. My name is Mike Cerulli. I'm Grace Carlos. And I'm David Kostek with the Connecticut Democratic Party. So welcome back to all of our uh, regular listeners and welcome to all those who are coming to us for the first time. Dave, it's great to see you again. And we have a great new addition to the team here. We absolutely do. It's 2023. It's a new year. It's a new election cycle. It's a new podcast season. Do we have seasons? Is this like a show on a streaming channel? Do we have seasons? If so, we've got a new cast member, Grace Carlos. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. That's awesome. So New London Young Dems, what's going on in New London? Well, I first want to say it's the New London County Young Dems. So we serve the entire county. Um, we are getting jump started. We have some new members. We're actually, we've actually been doing a lot. We've started doing more in-person events and meetings. We've had a lot of our legislators come out and get engaged with the young people. So that's been very exciting. Our state convention is coming up, so there might be a few changes coming to Young Dems in our regional chapter. So stay tuned for stuff like that. I saw that the uh, Litchfield Young Dems, too, are sort of expanding, too. So a lot of young, exciting stuff happening with Young Dems around the state. And we'll talk more about that a little bit later on in the show. Um, but let's talk about some young Democrats in another state. Big news a couple of weeks ago came out of Tennessee, where uh, three uh, legislators were uh, sanctioned for leading or, or joining really in a protest. So here's what happened. There was the horrible massacre in Nashville at the uh, Christian school where three children and three adults were murdered. A number of young people descended on the Capitol and, and protest. And this was a nonviolent, albeit loud protest. And three members of the Tennessee legislature sort of joined uh, with them uh, from the podium. And Subsequently, they got letters from the Republican leadership that said they were facing expulsion for this. Most people probably know the story. Two of those legislators were expelled. One was not. She survived by a single vote. And the two young men who were were both, uh, like I said, young Dems, and they were both young Black men. So uh, let's hear from one of them real quickly. This is Justin Jones uh, uh, in an interview that, that uh, he did on MSNBC with his take on sort of the situation. And as I thought about being expelled, I thought about that they were trying to expel us for a protest, but we weren't talking about the conditions that brought us to the well to protest in the first place. That was the conditions of weapons of war slaying our children and, and, and terrorizing our schools and terrorizing our communities. The conditions that would make it so that the NRA has ultimate voice and not the people of Tennessee. The conditions in which we worship guns at the expense of our children. And while we were nonviolent, we were creating tension because we were trying to force a conversation. Because we had heard wait, like Dr. King says, but there comes a time where wait becomes never, where wait becomes, you know, delaying justice, delaying conversation. And that's what we've seen time and time again. Um, Speaker Cameron Sexton tried to flex this extremist authoritarian abuse of power, and it's backfired. You know, Newton's third law says that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. And that's what we're seeing here is that um, what he planned as, uh, for our demise, if, if I go to scripture, what you meant for evil is being used for good to shine a light here in this capital. And so I come, you know, I'm 27 and the youngest black lawmaker here. And I'm just so hopeful for the days ahead. And I hope more young people will run. I hope more young people step into our power because if we were not powerful as a generation, they would not be trying to expel us and silence us. 
There's a guy who quotes both Isaac Newton and scripture, like half a sentence apart. I, I, the more I've heard from these, these, these two, um, he and Justin Pearson, the two expelled legislators who have both been reinstated, the more impressed I am. Grace, what, were you, what was your take on that whole situation? What were you thinking while it was going down? And, and what do you react to, to what Justin had to say there? Well, the first time I heard about it was actually through a Young Democrats of America group chat that I'm in. There were actually some young Dems that were there at the Capitol when it happened. So that's how I found out about it. And I was honestly so shocked because I don't think I've ever heard of anything like this happening. And just as he was saying in the recording, it was just surprising for this to be the reaction to them trying to have a conversation and bring awareness to this issue. And the focus was turned onto them violating the rules. Um, I really love that quoting the scripture of what was meant for evil was turned into good because as we saw, this just helped mobilize so many more young people and give them the confidence to speak out about issues that are concerning them. And we even saw some of our Connecticut people and young voters and even older people speaking out in support of of Justin and Justin to help bring them back into office, which I thought was amazing to see. So I really think that at first it was unfortunate, but it needed to happen because it sent a message to everybody all over and to young people and older people to know that we're not going to back down. And even though people might try to intimidate us or silence us, we're just going to come back stronger. What about the politics of this? I mean, how do you not know the process? Or if you do, you know that their local committees get to name the replacement. Now, if you're kicking someone out for bribery or, or like a felony or something like that, you know they're not going to send that person back. Right. I get it. That's an expulsion on, on some sort of valid grounds. To not understand the politics and the, and, and the optics of this is also kind of stunning. Well, and I think it's important to remember there's kind of two things going on here. One, of course, which we've unfortunately seen too many times is an atrocious mass shooting using a weapon that arguably no person should have access to to kill innocent people. But the second thing that's happening here is I think a little bit deeper and maybe more unnoticed by some of the more mainstream coverage of it. You know, I, Dave, as you probably know, and my friends know, like I'm like a junkie for like right wing political media, I find it fascinating to see what they're saying. And and the narrative around this is actually fascinating, which is they are likening the protests at the Tennessee State Capitol to January 6th. I think the most prominent example of this was Tucker Carlson sort of cheekily called it an insurrection um, on his show one night. So they're basically saying, look, these representatives, you know, were leading a group of people into the Capitol. How is that any different from what happened on January 6th? And I mean, we could go through the litany of reasons that there was no trespassing. That's a public place. There's no assault on police officers all the way down the list. But I think the most important thing to note here is on January 6th, you know, again, aside from the fact that they were trespassing on government property that had been closed off you know, during the pandemic, aside from the fact that they assaulted police officers, the thing that they actually were doing was they were trying to obstruct an official proceeding. They were trying to stop Congress from certifying electoral votes. What was happening here was they were just trying to get their legislature to do something about this. You can't obstruct you know, inaction. You can't obstruct a legislature that's not even trying to do anything in the first place. So I think you know, it's important to answer some of those claims and recognize that these people weren't trying to stop anything from happening. They weren't trying to stop legislators from doing their job. They were actually telling them, like, hey, do something about this. Do your job. 
I think when you watch the proceedings that were going on in Tennessee, your visceral gut reaction probably tells you a lot about where you stand on this political spectrum, right? When we see people, uh, you know, chanting or whatever, this happened in Wisconsin some years ago around some, uh, uh, was it around labor law changes that when, when Governor Scott Walker yep. was trying to push this right stuff to work. and the Wisconsin legislature saw a lot of uh, uh, protests. When you see this kind of protest, um, I, I think when you look at that and you go, shut those people up is your objective. That's one end of the political spectrum. Uh, and when, when you when you look at that and you see and you say good for them, which is sort of like, you know, my, my initial reaction, I didn't see anything wrong there. Certainly nothing that would warrant expulsion. Yeah, me neither. I didn't see anything wrong there. I think that's why so many of us were so shocked. And as Mike said, they were there just trying to promote getting their legislators to do something about this. Nobody was barging in. I I was actually very proud that nobody caused a disruption or disturbance and they did the right thing and they were peaceful and respectful about it. So Again, it is unfortunate that it happened, but I do think it needed to happen because now so many people are aware of the injustices that are going on and they're aware of how they can speak up and come together to do the same things in a peaceful and respectful manner. And Dave, can I ask you this as as someone who works for the state party here in Connecticut? You know, one of the responses we saw to this event, aside from the outpouring of support, we also saw folks sending money. Uh, Chris Murphy, one of our senators, was raising money for both these representatives and and for the Tennessee Democratic Party, which, you know, as we know, Tennessee is a pretty red state. Uh, They're fighting to keep their head above water there. What does something like this mean for the state Democratic Party and for the folks who are organizing there, not just on the important issue of gun violence, but also just generally trying to keep Democrats in the fight in a state that's pretty red? Well, you know, I, I did sort of follow that. You're right. Chris Murphy was among those who were uh, retweeting or, or pushing out uh, links for fundraising, both for the legislators themselves and for the Tennessee Democratic Party. Uh, fun fact, by the way, Tennessee has a rule that while you're in session, sitting legislators can't fundraise. So by kicking them out, it opened their campaign committees to accepting money. And in the four days that they were out, They brought in something like $400,000 into a state legislative campaign. That is insane. Again, with the politics and the strategy, I love Republican own goals. So um, for the Democratic Party in in Connecticut, um, you know, something something like this is kind of inconceivable, right? Like, what is going to happen? Could you ever imagine something like this happening in Connecticut? And of course, here, the shoe would be on the other foot, that there would be something that would compel us other than, like I said, bribery, a felony, some legitimate uh, uh, question uh, to expel a member of the House. I don't. And it turns out we have roughly the same rule as Tennessee. I do think we we see in this state some of that like very extreme whataboutism, you know, trying to draw equivalency between two things that I mentioned before. You know, I think there was a Republican state representative who uh, in, a, in addition to downplaying January 6th was sort of saying, well, what about all these protests we see at state capitals? around issues of abortion or gun violence. Isn't that the same thing? And I think you see that here in Connecticut. I think the difference is that, um, you know, we don't obviously let those folks <laughs> control things and uh, voters don't let them control things is what I mean when I say we. Um, but I don't know, Grace, do you think the issue of like using expulsion as a means of like political uh power, exercising political power. Like I think there's a bill in our legislature to kick out anybody or disallow anybody 
who was part of the insurrection from holding office. I guess that's a form of expulsion. Like, what do you think about that? That seems to be something that people are using more uh, in in political context, kicking off, kicking off of committees or kicking out of the body altogether. To answer Dave's question, I can't think of a situation where that would happen. And to answer your question, Mike, I think that we should have something like that to have as a safety net. Obviously, I don't think that legislatures should be abusing it in the way that this happened. But I also feel like Connecticut legislature and government structure is very different than Tennessee. But I do think we should have something like that because when there are certain situations where somebody does need to be removed and does not think that they should resign, we have the opportunity. And Connecticut, you know, our legislatures are very good at working together, working across the lines, being respectful and honoring their commitment to their constituents. But if for some odd reason, there was someone who was not upholding that honor and responsibility, at least we have a safety net to make sure that they are removed and we can have a more responsible and respectful representative in our legislature. Can I just say this, the Tennessee, I've, I've kind of looked into it a little bit in Tennessee legislature, uh, 99 seats in that house. That was the subject of all this. Uh, 39 Republicans ran unopposed, 17 Democrats ran unopposed. So I believe that's more than half of the legislature ran unopposed because the seats are so gerrymandered. And even among those that fielded two candidates, uh, that should say at least two candidates, uh, only one was within 5%. One race in the entire 99-seat legislature wow. was close uh, by by the usual metric that we use. So one thing that can happen, I guess, if with the money coming into Tennessee Democratic Party and if they are effective in, in uh, uh, advocating to get the maps changed is that they'll have much more competitive seats. They'll still be a minority party, but boy, it'd be nice if we were a little closer. Um, one way to get there, Vote, vote, vote. And here in Connecticut, we're going to get to vote, vote, vote early. So last year, we had a referendum on the ballot to uh, join the other 46 states around this country who can vote early. And uh, it passed. It passed overwhelmingly. So now the legislature is in the process of working out exactly how that's going to happen. Are we going to show up? Are you going to be able to vote uh, at your regular polling place or is it, will it be somewhere else in town? I don't I'm not sure. Will it be for two weeks, three weeks, 10 days, a minute and a half? We don't know. So uh, what do you guys think about early voting? First of all, uh, uh, how should it be and how do you think it will shake out? And and what effect do you think it's going to have on on on? voter participation and even will it have any effect on outcomes so i will be totally honest about this i have always been confused by these various whether it's early voting or absentee ballots i'm always extremely confused by all the policy proposals around it you know in terms of what's allowed and what's not allowed as i understand it uh what's up right now dave and correct me if i'm wrong is a period of early voting and the uh, meaning a period of days leading up to the election where you can go in person and cast a ballot it could be at your polling location. It could be at your town hall, depending on how they work the bill. Um, and the thing up for debate now is that period of time, like how big or how small yeah. it is. Am I right on that? Yes. So I guess the question you've posed to us would be, what do we think that period of time should be? I don't know, Grace, do you have any, uh, I don't know, what's the magic number there? We're banking you legislators. Hey, I know you guys have never, well, actually, that's not true. Grace, you are an elected official, but I was going to say, none of you, we have, none of us have ever actually run for anything, but now I'm going to put you in a legislative seat. Congratulations. What would you do? I feel like that's a tough one. I mean, 
we've heard of different numbers being thrown around. Some people feel that 10 days is too short. Some people want like a month. Some people want even longer. Honestly, for me, I definitely think it depends on the registrars and clerks. Being from a small town, I know that would be a lot on them. So I'm really interested to see what type of support and guidance they would have because I feel like that's the only way it would be successful. I do think to answer your previous question, early voting can change elections. And I think it can promote more civic engagement. As we saw before, many young people were able to vote and participate in the elections due to absentee ballots. And even people who weren't aware of the elections were able to register and vote ahead and just get that done. So I think this provides a great opportunity for some people who might not have an interest or experience in voting in elections to become more civically engaged and become more involved. When I think about my experience as a poll worker, I am concerned about that part, but I think I would feel more comfortable about a set time and just the structure of things if I had more information about that, because I know being from an area like mine, that could get a little chaotic. It varies widely state to state because heaven forbid the United States all does something the same way. So uh, Illinois, 40 days before the election, early voting starts and it ends one day before election day. So that is an enormous window. A lot of states are in the 21 to 28 day range, uh, but some are in the 10 day range. And I think we're looking at about a 10 to 14 day range. I'm not 100% sure where it's going to come down. I don't think anybody is, but uh, that would include two weekends. And that's 10 like consecutive days, because I think, and again, correct me if I'm wrong here, but aren't there states that do like weekend periods of voting before? And then there's certain days where you can't go in. Like these are 10 consecutive days. Any of those days you can walk into the designated location and and cast a ballot. I think we need to apply the KISS principle. That's the one thing I'm going to advocate. Keep it simple. Yeah, I, I if I'm writing the bill on this, the one thing I'm going to file an amendment on is we just need to spend a ton of money explaining this to people because I think (laughs) after 2020 with the absentee ballots and the changing rules there, I just think people need to be informed about, you know, what their options are, what they're allowed to do in this state. And then also, you know, to go back to our previous point about, you know, January 6th, like there is some responsibility here to make sure and and explain to people that this is a secure system. And as I understand it, I just think logically having earlier early voting so that not everyone's casting ballots at once, sort of a slower drip, that probably helps with security, you know? Uh, it almost certainly does. And not only that, but like think about places where there are uh, lines on election day. Uh, what's it like on UCon- at UConn on election day? Oh, it's it's crazy. Like it's um, I don't know if you read there was a great article in The New York Times a couple of weeks ago about how like Republicans are trying to make it harder to vote on college campuses. Um, and even in democratic states, like it's pretty tough because there's limited polling locations. There's always confusion about, you know, are you registered at your home? Are you registered at your dorm? And that leads to a lot of election day registrations. So always at the uh, Mansfield town hall, there's always a line out the door for election day registration. Um, but I don't know. I mean, people are willing to sit in lines. I don't know if you guys saw those uh, videos from Wisconsin, I think two weeks ago in the election there, like, Wisco, those kids were <laughs> they were out there for hours <laughs> to vote in that Supreme Court election. And it shouldn't be that way, right? It should not. No, it shouldn't be. And it shouldn't be that way. It doesn't have to be. Exactly. So hopefully the early voting will alleviate some of that because if, you know, X number of people, even if it's 20% of people cast an early ballot, 
that should result in 20% shorter lines in places even where there are very long lines. This episode is coming out on April 21st. And so I'm sure you've got a big green circle on your calendar the following day. It's a big holiday. I don't know what kind of plans you guys have. Tell me, tell me all about your big Earth Day plans. Well, Dave, I think some people might have the day before the 21st circled in green on their calendar, uh, especially given some of the laws we've just passed here in Connecticut. Um, but I don't know. I, I typically I like Earth Day. It was like always a thing when I was growing up in elementary and middle school that we would do something for Earth Day. And it's, I don't know. It's a pretty good holiday. Well, for me, for Earth Day, I have siblings who are in elementary, middle school age. So Earth Day is a pretty big deal in grade school. So I believe I'm probably going to be helping out with some projects and maybe some fun Earth Day outfits. So I'm excited for that. You know, maybe this is a generational thing. So uh, a little behind the scenes here for our listeners. I'm the I'm what I would like to call the political veteran here in the group, whereas my compatriots here, Grace and Mike, are quite a bit younger, college age, and 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 well, yeah, actually both both still in college as of this moment. So um, I don't remember this at all. This was not a thing. First Earth Day was in 1970, and you know, obviously at that time, the imperative of bringing awareness to environmental issues was was quite a bit different. Um, you know, a few years later, President Nixon formed the EPA. Let me say that again. President Nixon formed the EPA. Tells you how far the Republican Party has fallen on this issue. But uh, as the years have gone on, I never heard about Earth Day when I was a kid at all. It only came up later. So this is a big deal in for little kids and less so for the rest of us other than uh, events that might be going up, park cleanups, that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think, you know, not to be the, you know, radical lefty in the group here, but I would say the one critique I have, yeah, right, a, the, the radical yeah. lefty who's addicted to right wing well, media. No, All yeah, right. It, it does. It does yeah. definitely go both ways there. But uh, I would just say my one critique of like Earth Day as a uh, celebration is at least my experience with it was it was always the emphasis was on like you should recycle more and like you should like use a tote bag and not a plastic bag. And those are all for sure really great things to do. But the reality of the fact is, is that climate change, human caused climate change, what drives that isn't necessarily people not using the right straw. It's the fact that concrete and iron and petroleum belch huge number amounts of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. So, you know, I think there maybe needs to be some emphasis on the fact that like, yeah, like you got, you know, little kids should like recycle and stuff, but they should also probably be aware of the fact that, you know, the most damage being done to the earth is being done at a pretty systematic level. And until they figure out how to you know, reduce carbon emissions by making concrete differently, <laughs> like it's going to continue to be a problem. So I don't mean to laugh about it. It's very serious, but I do think uh, maybe emphasizing the more uh, systemic issues rather than just putting the onus on individuals, which it's impossible to individually solve this issue. And that's part of what, what the evolution here uh, has taken place, right? Again, in early 70s, I'm not sure that you didn't have reporting on any kind of regular basis about environmental uh, concerns or issues, at least nowhere near the degree. Certainly there was clean air questions and clean water questions, um, you know, with those landmark clean air and clean water right, acts passed right. at that time uh, and, and terribly effective. But outside of that, like, I don't know that people were thinking, it, making the link between either individual behavior and, and global uh, effects or even uh, major, major policy stuff, um, like, like the, the things you were referencing about mineral extraction and, and manufacturing processes and all that stuff that can uh, be so critically important. And now that we talk about that, a lot that there's coverage and sort of a broad awareness of this kind of stuff. 
is there a place for something like Earth Day, which is sort of, uh, I don't know, uh, one of those sort of made up holidays in a sense. It was a made up holiday, uh, what, 50 years ago? However, is there a need for it? Is there a place for it still? I definitely think there's still a need for Earth Day, but I think there should be a rebranding of Earth Day. As we were talking before, it's like Earth Day is a little more for like little kids, like talking about recycling and like a fun made up holiday. But there are some serious environmental issues going on. And I noticed um, as I got older, uh, people our age and above are kind of like fed up with the you should recycle more, use paper straws, and they want serious change. And I think rebranding Earth Day into something that honors that and pushes for policy change and more initiatives to reduce pollution and things like that would be a great way to celebrate Earth Day and move beyond just our basic recycling and fun activities. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, I mean, you heard from the lefty in me. Now you can hear from the atheist in me, which is Dave, all holidays are sort of made up. Um, but uh... <laughs> Hey man, Arbor Day is later this month and I don't want to hear well, a bad word about it. It's interesting you bring up Arbor Day because right, Arbor Day, which isn't- Is it? I, How can it be well, interesting that I brought because, up Arbor Day? That is impossible. Because you think about that holiday as like a conservation, right? Not so much environmentalism, but conservationism. And, and naturalism, right, of recognizing natural beauty, promoting it, whereas Earth Day is more about environmentalism. And I think you're talking about rebranding it. I think it'd be more helpful to think about Earth Day not as a cousin of Arbor Day or one of the solstices or some other day that people take to observe nature, but as a cousin or, or a sibling of Labor Day, which is a political, like at its core, a holiday that celebrates a political working people movement that ch caused change for the positive in this country and in countries around the world. So I think maybe, you know, the seventies earth day was all about, you know, give a hoot, don't pollute, you know, sort of more local air and water quality issues. And then maybe when Grace and I were in elementary school, it took on a more individualistic approach about recycling and lifestyle choices. And maybe the sort of next generation uh, has to take it and say, Hey, this is a political holiday. <laughs> this is like labor day. Um, you know, we're going to be, or it's like election day. Right. And we're going to, we're going to treat it that way. So that just about puts a wrap on our first episode of the 2023 season. Um, before we go though, we wanna let everybody know about stuff going on around Connecticut in the coming week. Uh, again, this is being dropped on April 21st. So if you're listening a little bit later on to this episode, you can always catch up with what's going on at ctdems.org slash events. But in terms of this week, what's coming up? Something, something fun and interesting coming up in your neck of the woods or anywhere in the state this week, Grace? Well, this Saturday, the 22nd, Montville Democratic Town Committee will be hosting an Earth Day cleanup. They'll be meeting at the Montville Community Center, which is 863 Old Colchester Road. They'll provide you with bags, gloves, water, and everything that you need to help with the cleanup. All you have to do is bring yourself. And after that, the Young Democrats of America is having the second part of their training series, which is a communications training with a special guest political speaker and communications strategist, Jackie Burns. This will be on April 27th at 7 p.m. For more information, you can go to YDA.org. Well, those both sound like a lot of fun and definitely Earth Day cleanup to go with our last topic is very appropriate and beneficial to everyone. 
Um, I've got something interesting, and I want to shout out Kevin Curian, fellow member of the Sean Scanlon Drivers Mafia. Uh, I think there's like three of us, so <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's a small but mighty group. And Kevin pointed out, he's from Simsbury, he pointed out that on the 26th, the towns of Avon, Burlington, Canton, Harwinton, and Simsbury, uh, their DTCs are having a joint fundraiser, and it's a karaoke night. So, you know, do with that information, which will, it's at the 26th next week. Uh, I don't know where it is or what time it is, but I'm sure if you query any of those DTC's Facebook accounts, you could probably find it. Um, and I'm just really looking forward to seeing uh, some Fifth District <laughs> karaoke. Dave, you're going to be you're going to be uh, going to karaoke that night. I have two karaoke songs that I can absolutely rock, and they both come from you know my my Gen X roots. So in one, I can do the entirety of REM's End of the World as We Know It and I Feel Fine without using a prompter. That is my that is my karaoke claim to fame. It's probably another good one for Earth Day, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's the end of the world as we know it? That's right. Uh, yeah. On the, Jelly bean on the Gen X song note, hard to learn song notes, can you do like We Didn't Start the Fire, another good Earth Day song? Oh, I would never do that. That is, no, I'm going to get in trouble. Get get your angry emails ready to send. I can't stand Billy Joel, oh. so no, I will not. Oh boy, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> that's cancelable, Dave. Is that is it is it? I think Southern Connecticut. Yeah, you should you should know you should like Billy Joel. <laughs> I was unaware that Long Island was part of Connecticut. Should be one of these days we're gonna annex it. Grace, what's your go-to karaoke song? <laughs> um. Well, if you saw me at. <laughs> no, I was gonna say, I actually have seen you. I was gonna say, I didn't even think about that, but I've seen yeah. you after the Dems dinner. <laughs> I tell them what song it, you were. Nicki Minaj is not my go-to, but that was a fun Young Dems song. But I think anything Disney, I've been able to rock the karaoke parties with that. All right, so a couple of cool events coming up this week. In addition, uh, Connecticut Democrats are sponsoring tons of training. We're very early in the session. If you are thinking about running for a board or commission, your local board of ed, your local parks commission, some towns elect their police commissioners, etc. That's something where you have uh, some expertise and you think, huh, maybe I'd like to try this. By all means, please email us at info at ctdems.org or, as I said before, check out ctdems.org slash events. Among the events you'll see up there are tons of training. So uh, we'll be talking on Saturday about forming a local slate, about what our caucuses do, and it kind of goes on from there. There's tons and tons of stuff. So hopefully uh, more and more people can get involved this year because local stuff matters. Thank you for listening to this edition. We'll be back uh, next month with another drop. And then as we get closer and closer to the election, they'll come faster and faster. And Dave, one training you might have missed there, Grace will be hosting one on how to rap super bass. <laughs> so if you want to uh, if you want to go to that one, hit her up. <laughs> no, literally. <laughs>